Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson. In this episode, I talk to Dr. Peter Edwards, who is a GP and academic clinical fellow at the Centre for Academic Primary Care at the University of Bristol. And the paper is Factors Affecting the Documentation of Spoken Safety Netting Advice in Routine GP Consultations. So this paper is all about safety netting. It's definitely something that in recent times, safety netting has become much more of a feature of normal practice compared to perhaps when it first appeared back in the 1980s. I asked Peter to tell us a little bit more about the background to safety netting and current research. Sure. So uh, in, in this study specifically, we actually looked at safety netting advice um, because safety netting has been used to describe quite a diverse array of activities. I think Neighbours kind of put the name who uh, officially first described it in his inner consultation in 1987. Um, but uh, it's, it's been used in research and in guidelines and specifically in different NICE guidelines, they'll say safety netting is one thing and perhaps a slightly different definition in a different guideline. So just to clarify for this study, we've looked at safety netting advice. So actually the advice the doctors gave the patient in the consultation. So information shared with them, with the patient or their carer, designed to help them identify the need to seek further medical help if their condition kind of failed to improve or changed or they had further concerns about their health. Um, and how it fits into general practice? Well, I think uh, lots of GPs will recognise it in lots of their everyday practice. Specifically, it's mentioned in guidelines around kind of lots of the initial work came out with kind of feverish children because we know children can change quite quickly. And then there's been kind of an evolving area of research in cancer. So safety knitting advice for cancer. But actually, it's used in quite a diverse a, a array of clinical presentations. And I know myself preparing for this RCA exam, which is the kind of replacement for the CSA for the um, associates in training, that it's kind of on the mark scheme. So potentially you could do it for kind of all different types of problems and in, in all different types of consultations. Yeah. So one of the things that when I read the paper, I was trying to remember the earliest mention because I knew it was in the neighbour advice. And obviously that's back to the late 80s. And it has just bubbled up. It's everywhere now, safety netting, isn't it? To a large extent, it's something we're all expected to do. So I, I guess one of the big questions we need to ask is what, what are the gaps in knowledge around safety netting? And, and with your study, what's the gap that it fills? Yeah, so I think that there was quite a seminal paper, I think it's 2009, Susanna uh, Almond, which is also in the BJGP, which uh, there was a consensus study and it was used around three kind of ill children, but they said it could be applied to other medical problems. And they said that you should be using safety netting advice when um, the diagnosis is uncertain for high risk situations or patients at increased risk. And, what, and they suggested that the things that we should be doing is communicating diagnostic uncertainty if it's present, um, telling patients what to look out for and how exactly to, to seek further medical help, and also the expected time course of illness. Um, so this study uh, it fills the gap looking at kind of the medical record side of things. So it's the same archive that we published a previous study, again in BJGP in 2019, where we did a real detailed analysis of what the doctors actually said. But in this study, um, because I also have an interest in kind of the medical legal side of things, I really wanted to compare what was said to what was documented in the, in the medical records, because we, we know from previous research and probably clinician experience, sometimes what people say is not exactly what's reflected in the medical notes. And I think it's it's really, I mean, it's impossible to document everything. Otherwise, we'd never see any patients, really. Yeah, that's one of the challenges. It's almost you know, we're living our lives twice. So you, we've got the consultation, then we have to make a note of everything. And 
that seems like one of the major challenges with safety netting and getting it all done and what we're expected to do. So really interesting yeah. dynamic there. So we should move on to what you found. You were, you, were, you were comparing what was said and what's been documented. We perhaps could get into, we tell us a little bit about how the study worked, but maybe get into the findings. Sure, sure. So, so this archive is just under 300 routine adult GP consultations. So like I said, we're, we're comparing what doctors said compared to um, uh, what's recorded in the medical notes and specifically looking at safety netting advice. And we found um, that kind of the median average that for kind of every three problems that the doctor gave safety netting advice, they, we found evidence of that in the medical records for, for one of the three. On a consultation level, um, in two thirds of the consultations, we observed uh, spoken safety netting advice, um, but in the me- medical records, there's only kind of one third. And the numbers are slightly different because uh, I was saying that the, the, the doctors documented about for one third of problems, just noticing the difference between consultations and problems because mo- many consultations have more than one problem in there. And we found that, so, so we looked at what uh, potential factors might have influenced the GP's decision whether to document or not, or whether they had time to document or not. And we found that when the GPs were giving specific safety netting advice, and perhaps we can come back onto the nuances between specific and generic, because Roger Neighbour himself gave me a bit, bit of a grilling about the use of generic safety netting advice at one of your conferences at the RCGP conference. So we found that when GP, GPs were more likely to, to document their specific safety netting advice, if they were seeing a new problem, um, or if the consultation only had one problem uh, assessed in it, and that might be reflective of the kind of the time pressures associated with trying to assess multiple problems in a single consultation. So let's just let's delve into that little generic and specific difference there in terms of its safety netting advice. Tell us a little bit more about that. So we coded kind of specific safety netting advice if the doctor gave a specific time frame. So instead of saying, oh, you know, come back if it doesn't get better, that would be kind of generic advice. If they said come back, if it's no better in two weeks, that would be coded as specific advice. And likewise, if they gave a new specific symptom, for example, you know, someone with a cough, if they said that you start to cough up blood, uh, that would be under the specific side of things, whereas generic might be, you know, if your cough's any worse, or at the the lowest end of things would be any problems, let me know. And that was the one that uh, uh, Roger Neighbour, who reviewed the previous study, was, um, he actually said to me that I don't think that is safety netting advice. But in this study, we've included that as just kind of generic advice. So you looked at various other factors, I think, using logistic regression. Tell us, tell us about some of those other factors you've looked at. Yeah, so so we did a couple of different models, um, and uh, so the model, the, the first one was looking at the factors that would influence documentation strategies, uh, and I, like I said, the significant findings were, or, or the, the statistically significant findings, if we can use, <laughs> if we should still be using that phrase, is um, for new problems specific advice. Um, and for first presentations, we didn't find a uh, statistically significant association um, for uh, when we used a, a cutoff of GP age, whether they'd be more likely to document the advice or not. Um, and we also didn't find any uh, association if the GP had given planned follow up. Uh, and we did make quite a distinction in the study, for example. So planned follow up being I'll see you in two weeks, safety netting advice being I'll uh, come back in two weeks if it's not better. So there had to be some form of conditional element. The other, the other model we did, which is slightly more complicated, although I hope I can simplify it um, for this uh, conversation, is, is in table six. 
where we, we I did this analysis because I wanted to potentially show what different findings are we going to have if we if we do a study looking at what people say because because that's quite difficult data to to get compared to what's just documented in the medical records and although the frequency of safety netting advice in the medical records was was lower than that that was said we actually found similar associations so in the previous study that we found that doctors were more likely to give safety netting advice for acute problems we actually found that the younger cohort of, of GPs, so aged 50 uh, and below, and we used that cutoff because that cut our GP cohort in half or so. Um, so the younger cohort were more likely to give safety netting advice. Um, and we also found that if, if there was this, uh, if just one problem was assessed in the consultation, um, and we didn't find any associations um, for uh, geriatric patients. So when we used a cutoff of age 65 or age uh, 75 or patient sex or deprivation uh, quintile, what we did find is um, that in the medical notes model, we did find that um, when uh, there was documented follow-up present, there potentially was less safety netting advice, but we didn't find that association in, in the in the verbal model. So I've spoken quite a lot, but I guess the take home messages that I would like to say is, although there are um, potentially some biases in how we as doctors record safety netting advice, I think that the if you look at table six, you can see that medical notes are still going to be a good option uh, for studying safety netting strategies, just accepting some of the biases and accepting that some safety netting won't be documented. Yeah, I've just got table six in front of me just now. So uh, I just say there's a clear difference here that and this is for sort of research purposes in the future that clearly what's documented doesn't necessarily, you've already described there that it isn't an exact fit. Quite a stark difference. And that's one of the most significant. I think it's the most significant in terms of p-value is the age one, isn't it? Aged under 50 and aged over 50. That was the most significant difference that you found. Uh, I, I, that perhaps just reflects the growing, you know, in, you know, the growing awareness about safety netting in in, in recent years and for newly so GPs trained in the past decade or two? Yeah, yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I mean, it's something that's drilled into us as trainees and it's, it's a, a marking criteria for people pre uh, preparing their consultations for the RCA. So actually, you know, kind of by by training and by examination, it's, it's kind of drilled into us that perhaps most consultations should have safety netting advice. Although I guess one of the other limitations of this study is that we weren't commenting on the exact clinical, well, we weren't commenting on the clinical appropriateness of, of, of whether safety netting advice was indicated. And I think um, I'll, I'll just lay it out there to, to the listeners about perhaps you can give safety netting advice for lots of different problems. So for example, someone with hypertension, you could tell them if your blood pressure is consistently, the systolic's greater than 135 over 85, then you need to come back. And that can potentially be quite a good use of, uh, of, of not bringing people back just to check it, get, handing that responsibility over to them. But then again, not every patient has their own blood pressure monitor. Um, and just saying that, you know, it might, it probably is also clinically appropriate just to, to, to check it in the clinic in a month's time. Yeah. What, what, Peter, what do you see as the future for safety netting here? What, what, what direction are we going in in general practice? We've, we haven't got terribly long, but that seems like a good place to finish on. Should we, I, I, we need to do more and more of it. We need to look at different ways of doing it. What we, the, clearly, the, one of the big things is the administrative burden of writing detailed notes as well. And even the safety netting in itself is quite a time consuming activity. 
For sure. Well, I think uh, as GPs and as clinicians, all healthcare professionals who are seeing and making independent diagnoses and kind of discharging patients, for, um, that we should, you need to make life easy for yourself, especially for us in primary care with electronic health records. So I make this easy for myself by having text templates. And at my practice, we use AccuRx. So, com so common conditions that I'll see most days that have um, the potential need for specific safety netting advice, so stuff like back pain, having a text template that automatically uh, at the end of the consultation I can send it to the patient, which lists the red flags potentially for corda equina. Um, you can also do this in EMIS uh, if you use quick codes and text. And if you have a look at my Twitter, it's Dr. Underscore PJ Edwards. I'll put a video on there how to do that. Sorry, System 1 users, I think you'll have to go to Dr. Gandalf. He's a great resource of, uh, uh, on Twitter for that. Um, so so I think those are the kind of the, the clinical sides of the things that we can do now. In the paper, we've raised this discussion around the, the, the kind of the overall use of medical records and how they're often used quite uh, often in litigious cases. And at many practice levels, we know that um, GPs are recording consultations now, potentially not stored indefinitely. But I think that's a conversation that we have to open. And my personal experience has been that, ev that every time uh, I've needed to listen to a recording, I've always been much more glad it was there than the opposite of, of worrying about Big Brother. And then one other thing that I thought was really important that I'd mention, it's also a, a bit personal to me because at my end of year review, which I just had with my trainer, they suggested that perhaps I often try and assess too many problems in one consultation. And just this study that's showing that when we, when doctors potentially try and assess multiple problems in a single consultation, we know that the consultation duration only increases by about approximately two minutes. I don't know about you, but I, d I think probably for most things, I can't do a great consultation in two minutes. And just sometimes it can be useful to say, you know, a third party research has shown that uh, trying to fit too many things into one consultation actually doesn't provide you the best care. And I want to give you the best care. So maybe we need to, to come back another time and, and have a more detailed think about it. Uh, no, I can't do a very good consultation in two minutes. I can reassure you of that. <laughs> uh, I, that's a very good point at which to end, I think. It's a, and it's a point of which we've talked about many times on this podcast before. It's about the fundamental difficulty of not having enough time in general practice. And this is another topic which fits square into that. So we will leave it there. Peter, that's been really wonderful. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for your time. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again.